as we uh, do chapter two of this series and looking at a large portion of the book of Genesis. Uh, actually, that's why it's really important if you um, would do the reading ahead of time, you will get more out of these messages. So whether you've picked up a copy of the story to read a chapter each week, if you can do that before the service on Sunday, that's great. Or if you pick up one of the reading assignments and, uh, that lists all the scripture for each Sunday, uh, that's the other way. You can just follow along in your own Bibles and use that uh, as we work our way through these uh, messages. But I appreciate all the feedback we had last week. I think it's going to be a very enjoyable series as we move through the scriptures together. And I also want to just uh, do a greeting to those that are listening online. Uh, Those who listen to these messages, if you're not able to be here on a Sunday and you are following along in this series, uh, that's great. And we're really pleased at how many people are participating with this. So take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to pray, and then we'll begin. All right. Father, as we come before you this morning, we thank you for your holy word. It is powerful. It is true. It speaks to our life circumstances, and we can see ourselves and the characters that we read about. We see their struggles, their desire to walk by faith with you in the times when they also fell and disobeyed and needed to be restored. So, Lord, would you teach us this morning as we come to the Scriptures and show us those things that you want us to take away from this message today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin by doing a brief recap. Uh, Last week, we started the series looking at creation. And we saw that God's grand vision is to be with us. That's his desire. That's why he made us, that he wanted us to experience his love and his joy for all of eternity. But Adam and Eve chose another vision. They believed the lie of Satan, and they ate of the forbidden tree, and sin entered into our world. And that sin spread to all mankind. And we saw how even in the opening chapters of Genesis, how quickly that sin nature was passed on and a man murdered his brother or people began to fight and quarrel among one another until the time of Noah, God saw how great man's wickedness was. And so he said, I'm going to begin again with Noah, who was a righteous man and his family. But what we saw was that even a flood could not eradicate the problem of man's sin. Sin is present in all of us. Sin is present even in the best of men and women. Sin runs deep. So how will God win us back? How is he going to restore us to a relationship with him? How is this grand vision that he had at the beginning going to be fulfilled? Well, that's what the rest of the story is about. And today what we're going to see in this part of the story, we will discover that God's plan is to build a nation. And through that nation, he will carry out his plan to win us back, to restore us to fellowship with him. Now, I want to mention something else that I also think is important when we think about uh, reading the Bible and how this story fits together. The story of the Bible runs along on really two levels. There is the upper story where God is. And God has this purpose and plan laid out from all of eternity, from eternity past to eternity future, and nothing can thwart his plan or purposes. God is sovereign. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, and nothing can thwart 
his plan. And that's why Scripture will even say in places that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world or before the creation of the world. God knew exactly what he was going to do. The place where we live and the place where most of the stories in the Bible, though, is on this lower story. That's where we live. That's where we see these characters. We see how life goes up and down, how there are twists and turns, there are struggles. We see people in the Bible as they really are with their strengths and their weaknesses, with their moments of great kind of inspiration and obedience and times when they stumbled and fell into sin. They are just like us. And they're learning what it means to walk by faith. Uh, They want to walk with God and we see that. And in the same way, we are learning what it means to walk by faith and to trust God through the trials that we go through in this life until that day comes when our faith becomes sight and we see Jesus as he is and we are made holy in his sight. So we're going to take a look at the story of God's plan to build a nation. And what we're going to see in the first point here is that God uses unlikely people to build a nation. God uses unlikely people to build, to build a nation. The story of Abram begins in chapter 11 with his father, Terah. And we read about Terah that uh, Terah was a pagan worshiper. He lived in the area of the Chaldeans. That would be where the Babylonians were, or today it's modern Iraq. And he lived in a city called Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, Inside the cover of the book, The Story, there is a map. And they have Ur placed there down along the Tigris-Euphrates rivers. And it's near the Persian Gulf. If you have the story, you can take a look at that and kind of get a picture in your mind of where uh, this city was located. So Terah is a pagan worshiper. Uh, Abraham is growing up in idolatry in that particular city in that part of the world. And God will call him out from that. Abram's name will be changed. Abram will later be called Abraham. He is the son of Terah. And he is married to Sarai. And Sarai's name later is going to be changed too to to Sarah. And we'll see why. But Abram and Sarai were an old couple by our measure. Abram was 75 years old when God called. Sarai was 65 when God called them. And even though they lived longer than we do in our normal lifespan, they were still up in years at the time God called. And then thirdly, we read in chapter 11 that Sarai is barren. She had no children. She was infertile. And so when you you look at this and you think about God's plan to build a nation, he picks a couple that are involved in pagan idolatry, that are an old couple to start this nation, and that she has been unable to have children. What is up with that? I mean, this isn't exactly the kind of couple that we would choose to begin a nation. It's not what we would expect. But God's ways are not our ways. You know, if we were planning this and going to work things out, we'd probably pick someone like Prince William and Kate. You know, a a young, handsome, beautiful couple, you know, that uh, have been groomed to be a leader of a nation. And we think they have all the qualities that would be needed, and we'd hope that they'd have a lot of kids and that we could get this nation off to a booming start right away. But again, God's ways are not our ways. 
So why does God use unlikely people to accomplish his purposes? It is so that everyone will know that God did it. Everyone will know that God did it. It wasn't man, it wasn't us, it wasn't our wisdom or intelligence that did these things. It was God who accomplished his purposes in our life. I think of a man named William Carey. He has been called the founder of the modern missionary movement. He was born in the late 18th century, and he was a a man who was born into poverty. His father was a shoemaker, a cobbler, and that's the trade that he was being taught to kind of make shoes for a living. He grew up in obscurity. Nobody had ever heard of William Carey. And he went on, though, and God began to tug at his heart there as he was growing up in England. God began to stir his heart, and he became a pastor. And in 1792, he sensed God's call to do something that nobody was doing at that time. He sensed God's call to be involved in missions, and he took his wife and his children, and he sailed for India. He would describe himself as a plotter. Nothing exceptional about him. He was just a guy who knew what it was to work hard and to do what needed to be done. And so he began to share the gospel with the people he met in India. He began to translate the scriptures into their language so that they could read and hear these stories about Jesus. And do you know that by the time he died, he would leave behind a vibrant Christian church He would leave behind translations of the Bible in all of the major languages in the Indian subcontinent. And he would leave behind thousands of missionaries who were inspired by his example and went out to other nations of the world. That's why he's known as the father of the modern missionary movement. But who would have thought that this young man, this child who was born in obscurity and poverty would be that kind of an individual? Why did God use him? Because when you look at his life and you see what happened, you know that God did it. God was at work. And that encourages me, and that should encourage really all of us when we think about that. When we think about God's ability to take unlikely people to accomplish his plan and purposes, that means that God can use you and me. So be encouraged and trust him. And maybe you grew up in a family that wasn't a Christian home, Christian family. Maybe your parents never went to church, but somehow God worked and brought someone into your life who knew Jesus, and you came to know him too. Or maybe you grew up in a family where you were put down or abused or you were told you'd never amount to anything or God couldn't use you or things like that. And God can. God can use you and will use you if you will trust Him and walk by faith and put your life in His hands. God did it with Abraham. He can do it with you and me. And so as the story goes on, God reveals His plan to Abraham In chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, this is on page 13 in the book, The Story. And let me read for you the opening verses. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. 
And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, I, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And so here God comes to Abraham in his life circumstances, and he says, I want you to leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Abraham was asked to give up a lot. No pun intended there. Uh, but, but look at what God promised him in return. He said four things. He said, I will make you a great nation. Here Abraham is, and he doesn't have a child at all, and yet God is saying, I will make you a great nation. And that nation would be the nation of Israel. He said, I will make your name great. Nobody knew Abraham at that time. And yet God is saying, I will give you a name that will be great among the nations. And today, three major religions all look back to Abraham as the father of their religion. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. God said to him, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. God was promising to Abraham that I will be your protector and defender, and we will see that in the scriptures. And fourthly, he said, I will bless all the peoples on earth through you. It is the promise that is picked up again over and over in the Scriptures, this promise of a Savior, a Messiah, who will come through Abraham's descendants, through his line. There will be this seed of Abraham, singular, this one individual who will come, who will be that Redeemer, the one who will restore us, the one who is so significant in God's plan to win us back. Abraham was asked to believe in one God at a time when all the people around him were believing in many gods. Gods who controlled the sun, the moon, the stars, the weather, the winds, fertility, nature, all kinds of things. And here Abraham was called out of that kind of idolatry to believe in one God and to put his life in his hands. And the scripture says that Abraham by faith obeyed and he went out even though he did not know where he was going. He'd never been to Canaan, didn't know the land that God was calling him to, but Abraham in obedience went. Now, I want you to see that Abraham's obedience did not mean that everything would go smoothly for him. When he arrives in Canaan, there is a famine in the land. I mean, here God's called him to give up everything. He goes out on this journey, trusting God to lead. He arrives in the land that's supposed to be his inheritance in the future, and there's a famine. I mean, you know, God, come on, what's up with this? This is not exactly what you would have expected again. And then Abraham goes down to Egypt because of the famine in the land to find food and to survive, but he is worried about what's going to happen there. Sarai, his wife, is a beautiful woman, and he is worried that Pharaoh will see her and want to take her to be his wife. And that's exactly what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh would take Sarai as his wife. And then later... 
there will be this conflict that will arise between his nephew Lot and Abraham's herdsmen and, and shepherds that were working with him, and they will have to divide. So instead of being this larger group of people, now they're going to split up. They will be weaker. I mean, you could think of it that way, that now Abraham really is on his own and there won't be as much of a protection for him. But Abraham was learning something. All the way through these trials, God protected Sarah and Abraham. When God asks us to do something, it doesn't mean that everything's going to go smoothly or easily. Sometimes people think, you know, if I come to know Christ, you know, well, then, uh, you know I'm not going to have any trials in life, or maybe God's going to bless, and I'm going to prosper, and it's going to go great. There are even people who preach that way in a health and wealth gospel, as though if you place your life in Christ's hands, you're going to be rich and prosperous and have all kinds of good things in that way. But that's not reality. That's not the world we live in. We live in a fallen world and we are not exempt from the trials and tribulations of this life. And when you look at our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering so much in terms of persecution, you see that in this country we have been greatly blessed to be able to come and even worship as we do this morning. Coming to know Christ doesn't mean that life's going to be easy, but it does mean that God will be with you wherever you go. The years would pass. Abraham still had no son. In Genesis 15, we read that he was going out for a walk. This is page 15 in the story. He's going out for a walk. And, and he's talking with God, and he's saying, God, I don't get this. You said I was going to have a son, but all I've got is Eliezer, my servant, who's going to inherit everything that I have. Abraham's thinking about his own mortality. That day's going to come when he's going to die, and what's going to happen? I have no son. And God spoke to Abram and renewed his promise in Genesis 15, verses 1 to 6. And he said to him, Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and he said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. You catch that? Abram, go out. Look at the stars by night. And if you can count all of them, that's how many your descendants are going to be. And the scripture says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham was understanding what it means to walk by faith. We learn something fundamental about God in his curious choice of Abraham. It is God's grace, not our own effort, that matters most in this story. It's not us. It's not how smart we are, how skilled we are, how gifted we are. It is God's grace that makes the difference. And when we look back on our life and we see how God has directed or spared us or protected us, all of those were acts of his grace because he loves you 
And he wants you to find your story in his story. Well, going on then, what we see, when Abraham and Sarah tried to make God's plan work through their own efforts, things get very messy. And we see that in Genesis 16. Abraham and Sarah have been living in Canaan for 10 years now. So Abraham's 85 years old. Sarah is 75 years old. And she is still barren. So Sarah comes to Abraham with a proposal that is offensive to us, but was culturally acceptable in their day. She proposes that Abraham sleep with her maidservant Hagar, and the child born to her servant will be considered Sarah's. All right? She's coming, making this proposal. She's thinking, you know, we're getting older. I'm not having children. Maybe I can do it through my servant as sort of a surrogate parent. Now, Abraham, who is sort of passive at this point, just kind of says, you know, well, whatever. And he goes along with it. When instead, Abraham should have had all kinds of warning lights going off and saying, this is a trap. This is not a good idea. And Abraham goes along, and he sleeps with Hagar, and a child is conceived. But what happens next is not good. There is a very significant point being made in this story. Just because the world says that something is acceptable doesn't mean that God does. Just because the world says something's acceptable doesn't mean that God does. You know, we're seeing that right now in our country, in our state too, in terms of how are we going to define marriage? What is a marriage? And there are those who want to redefine marriage and make it something that it isn't. And God's very clear in his word about what a marriage is. He's the one who instituted marriage in the first place and brought Adam and Eve together. One man, one woman joined together in this monogamous, faithful relationship. And the Bible records times like this with Abraham, uh, where he goes into this servant woman. Consequences are not good. There are times when you have polygamy that's described in the Bible. That doesn't mean it's right. It's just describing what is, and you see the consequences of that. And so when we look at what happened here with the consequences of Abraham and Sarah's decision to take matters into their own hand, is we see these things. Hagar gets pregnant, and she flaunts her pregnancy. You know, I'm having a baby and you are not. Ha, ha, ha. You know, and she kind of puts it back in Sarah's face. And Sarah is hurt and she is angry and she ultimately will drive Hagar away. And Hagar does give birth to a son, Ishmael, who will be the father of the Arab nations. And God will tell Hagar concerning Ishmael that he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. There is this tension, this hostility that is introduced between Ishmael and Isaac, and later between Ishmael and his descendants and the nation of Israel. And we see that tension to this day. When we try to take things into our own hands, we can mess things up pretty good, can't we? 
And we look back on our own life and we see times when maybe we, rather than listening to God and His will for our life, chose to go another way and do our own thing or follow our own will. And we reap the fruit of that, just like Adam and Eve did and just like Abraham and Sarah. But what is a profound example of grace here is that God comes to Abraham and in chapter 17 he renews his promise with Abraham. God in his grace does not reject Abraham. And at the age of 99, I mean Abraham's now 99 years old, God will come to him and he'll renew this promise that he had made with Abraham 24 years before. That's a long time to wait. Abraham, you're going to have a son. 24 years have passed. No change in his circumstances. But at the age of 99, God speaks once again. It's on page 17 in the story. It's Genesis 17. And let me read this to you. Genesis 17 verse 1 says, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and I will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations, and no longer will you be called Abram. Abram meant exalted father. He said, Now your name will be Abraham, which means the father of many For I have made you a father of many nations and I will make you very fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come from you and I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Wow. What a powerful promise that God was making once again to Abraham. Abraham would come and he would, um, he would just, he was stunned by it. And God would come to him in verse 15 and say again, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, which means princess. And I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, and kings of peoples will come from her. And Abraham fell face down, and he laughed, and he said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. God would bless Ishmael. But he was not the child of promise. The child born through Sarah would be the one through whom this Redeemer would come. It's a marvelous thing when we see again the name change that reflects what God was going to do, that he would be called Abraham, the father of many. Sarah's name being changed to princess. The promise of a son who would be born a year from now. And Abraham would laugh at that. I mean, it just, it tickled his funny bone to think that I'm going to have a son at the age of 100? Really? And can a woman who's 90 have a child? Sarah would laugh also. And God, who has a sense of humor too, 
would say the child would be called Isaac, which means laughter in Hebrew. And every time they saw little Isaac running around, they would laugh and they would remember the promise of God in his grace. Abraham's faith down the road would be severely tested once again. It's in Genesis 22 or page 19 in the story. Genesis 22 says, Sometime later God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Abraham is asked to take his son Isaac, this child of promise, and slay him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Abraham must have been stunned by what God was asking. The God I know doesn't ask those kind of things, he would think. I mean, the the pagan gods around me, they have asked for child sacrifice, or they have asked for these kinds of things, but the God I know, he doesn't ask for that, does he? And in the text, it says that early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, He set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. The book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham was willing to do this because he believed that God could even raise the dead if that's what it came to. But we see this expression of a deep faith here that God himself will provide the lamb. God himself will do it. You know, when you think about the ages of Isaac and Abraham and Sarah here, we don't know exactly what they are, but Isaac is old enough that he is carrying this wood for the sacrifice and it is very likely that he was a teenager. Maybe he's 15 and, you know, Abraham's 115 and Sarah's 105. That's kind of the optimum age to raise teenagers, don't you think? You know, and, and they're going here and he's bringing this teenage son to be sacrificed. And I think of Isaac's trust in this. Isaac obey his father too. I mean, he could have resisted. He could have run away. But Isaac is bound, and he's laid on the altar. And just when Abraham was about to slay his son and that knife was raised, God stayed his hand. And in his place, God provided a ram. A ram, a sacrifice, to take the place of Isaac. And Abraham would call that place, the Lord will provide. 
Well, Isaac would go on to have two sons, Jacob and Esau. The promise would continue through Jacob's line. And in time, Jacob would become the father of 12 sons. Jacob was a schemer. He had issues in his own life. And God would deal with Jacob through the circumstances of life to mold him into the person he wanted him to be. And that day would come when he would change Jacob's name to Israel. And a nation would be born with those 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, what do we learn from this chapter of the story? Several things. One, we learn that God uses unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. He doesn't choose just the smartest or the most handsome or beautiful or those with the best resumes. No, in fact, he chooses most often, it seems, the least of these those that are maybe neglected or forgotten or that the world doesn't value. And God chooses them and raises them up to accomplish his purposes. He uses ordinary people like you and me. And secondly, we learn that God asks us to trust him in spite of things like famine or infertility or hardships or delay. Maybe you came to know Christ at a young age and you've walked with him and you've gone through some of those trials or difficulties in your own life and you have a testimony of God's grace. Or maybe you're right in the midst of something right now that's the hardest thing you've ever gone through. Hold on to God and trust him and he will watch over you. God calls us to walk with him by faith, to follow his will and not our will. And what we see in the scripture is that God keeps his promises just like that promise to abraham that he would have a son god kept it and just like abraham's faith that the lord would provide a lamb god did what abraham was asked to do in offering his son isaac as a sacrifice god would do one day and what's amazing about the story is that it would be on the very same mountain mount moriah in jerusalem where 2,000 years later, God would provide a lamb just like Abraham had said. And that lamb would be his son, Jesus, the Son of God. Is that a coincidence? Not at all. Not at all. God knew what he was doing, what he had planned before eternity began. And what Abraham did became an example of what God would do that day when he would offer up his very best gift, his son, as the one who would pay the penalty for our sins. Let's pray. Father, how can we thank you for what you did? We see Abraham's faith and how he learned to walk with you, and we want to have a faith like that, that trusts you even in the difficult times of life. And we see this amazing gift that you gave of Jesus who died in our place to pay the penalty that we deserve. And how can we not give you our life and trust you too? Father, we thank you that your grand vision is to be with us. And we see in the scripture how you have won us back to yourself at great cost. Jesus, help us to follow you fully, to walk with you this day and this week as we continue our journey and see how our life is part of that great story. Amen.